You're listening to Malta Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. The program is our Sailal Alam Sadika. It is a program, alhamdulillah, that keeps the ummah conscientized on what's happening and it teaches us also to read in between the lines. Uh, but this evening, alhamdulillah, our very own Ahmad Manzoor Sheikh Ibama, member of parliament, uh, the leader of the NFP, a firebrand in politics and someone that knows his uh, politics well. He's also a barrister and who's in uh, Korea live uh, this uh, evening. Ahmad, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And tell me, how are you doing this uh, beautiful evening? Walaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, mashallah day. Uh, pretty cold though. When we arrived here, we've had snow. However, no snow according to the Koreans that uh, it's a good sign when you have special people coming. And I think they're talking about the special relationship that exists between South Africa and Korea, particularly on our support for the Koreans in the Korean War. Uh, so for them, you know, when special guests come, it normally snows. Uh, yeah, so we had some snow, but uh, and there were minus three degrees on the day, uh, two days ago. But uh, today, beautiful weather, but still cold. Yeah, Amada, you went to, uh, with a delegation uh, very quickly. Uh, what was uh, the purpose of your uh, visit uh, to Korea? Well, it was more uh, uh, an educational tour to see how our counterparts in Korea, uh, you know, I belong to the Standing Committee on Appropriations, which is responsible for the budget and budget allocations. And uh, so we wanted to see how the Koreans do it. Remember, the Koreans got a very low unemployment rate of 2.8%, despite the fact that economic growth is, is sitting around 3%. Uh, uh, they have a 2.8% unemployment rate in this country. And more importantly, uh, 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 the debt to GDP is sitting around 48%, and they're trying to bring that down even more. Uh, The good thing is is there's very little or no crime whatsoever, no load shedding whatsoever, beautiful infrastructure, the flow of traffic is good, despite the heavy traffic. Uh, cost of living extremely high. You wonder how people survive. Of course, the only challenge, we have about 100,000 uh, members of the Ummah living in Seoul. Uh, but 200,000, I'm told, is estimated the figure in the whole of Korea, Muslims. Uh, halal food, a little bit of a challenge, but if you go further down to some of the, there are halal shops and more and more of them are springing up. There is some massages as well. We're visiting one on Friday, but uh, that is tonight. But yeah, otherwise I think everything is okay. Uh, a nice country, very expensive to live, I can tell you, but mainly skyscrapers plenty skyscrapers you wonder where all the people are living but they're all living in skyscrapers uh but yeah this is uh, korea a a very progressive country uh and some of the things we've learned from them is of course the auditor general and the the board of the auditing has got the mandate in korea to work together with law enforcement uh, when they identify uh, uh, corruption, looting, mismanagement, and things of that nature. So they have that power amongst them. As much as South Africa is very similar, but uh, 
uh, our auditor general is very limited in terms of powers. Restrictions still appear to be there. Uh, so here, I think that that is the one advantage that they have. Uh, as much as that they import a lot of stuff in Korea, uh, uh, particularly, you know, we visited Samsung uh, and they went through the process uh, and, and tell, you know, of innovation, uh, how they started and where they are today, employing over 200 and I think 70,000 people. Uh, so quite a massive plant has their own hospital there and all works. Uh, 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 but what is important is a lot of the components are imported, but finished products are exported. And so that brings them a lot of revenue into the country as well. But one of the uh, things that we've uh, we picked up is that the focus of attention on education is their primary a target in Korea, and very importantly, not just education, but quality education. And that is why most of the departments are headed by people with PhDs. And very importantly, that the tertiary institutions, of course, there's a protest that is taking place because the tertiary institution and learners going to tertiary institutions are demanding more money for tertiary institutions. And they give a lot of money to, to, to primary and secondary education. But what is important to note that the tertiary institution is aligned to, to the skills needs of the country, focusing on technology, particularly the fourth industrial revolution. And for that reason, they identify learners, send them abroad to different countries all over the world to do extensive research, further training and come back and be employed. The only setback uh, Korea has currently, the population is uh, 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 appearing to be a problem for them because particularly the younger generation are not interested in having children and that is a concern for them. But other than that, I can tell you a beautiful country, very peaceful. You could walk around at midnight comfortably with absolutely no problem. Traffic is flowing. Despite their, of course, they're very patriotic to their products like Hyundai. Every other vehicle on the road is Hyundai and Kia. Kia, what many much many more brands, and of course, we find in South Africa. But very importantly, they want to invest more in South Africa. All those departments we met said the same thing, but they had a setback, and that is that the South African immigration system is giving them problems on visas. But I have subsequently sent a message to the minister to intervene in that. But yes, that's where it is, and that's where we are. Uh, but I must tell you on a whole, property is extremely expensive here. The Hilton Hotel where I'm staying is going to be shut down at the end of this month. It's been sold for just over, I think, 800 million US dollars. <laughs> that will tell you of the, just the rental for the ambassador the South African ambassador to, to, to Korea, the offices of the embassy, uh, 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 the rental there is uh, 560,000 rand a month. Wow, Ahmed. So that's uh, over half a million rand in rental alone. Yeah, 560 million rand is what I worked it out to be the rental. So we did discuss with them, it is not better for them to buy a property 
Yes, but the cheapest property you're probably going to be able to buy is at about 80 million or 100 million. Or, you know, properties are generally expensive here. And what they're doing is they're demolishing all the old buildings eventually and they're putting up skyscrapers. So skyscrapers left, right, front, back. Uh, uh, uh. Of course, there's about 30,000 United States uh, military presence here. Uh, and that is because of the threat from North Korea. So I think the South Koreans always live in fear of an attack from the North. And of course, they've got the other one on the other side, that is China, of course. So, yeah. Yeah, so that's another story altogether. And I'm, you know, uh, you know, uh, maybe before we finish up with the Korea, uh, people all look alike. Uh, you know, uh, they have the same uh, dials. Whereas in South Africa, you can see, uh, you know, that guy is a, a Soto. He's a Zudu. He's a, you know, uh, you can see all the different the Corsa and all that. And there's an Indian and there's a Bangladeshi. Even amongst Indians, you can see that's a Pakistani, that's a Bangladeshi, that's from India. He's a South African Indian. Each one has their own distinctive trait. But uh, what about the people in Korea? They all look identical. They do the same thing and they uh, maybe they don't have a distinctive feature amongst themselves. Uh, am I correct in my observations, uh, Ahmad? Well, when we were coming back uh, to the hotel, uh, 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 you know, I was saying to our colleagues that you can only see Korean. I've, we've hardly ever seen foreigners here. And I was concerned whether, you know, they're all Korean or Japanese or Chinese because they look very similar. Uh, but I can tell you that now most of the people that we are meeting are Koreans. And what the Koreans also do is just even for interpreters and whatever it is, they send Koreans abroad to train them and bring them back here and employ them. This is this is the, 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 the difference between Korea and uh, many other countries. So there's, uh, and we also wondered, you know, Brother Shepard, how do these businesses survive? Because, I mean, you know, the Starbucks, <laughs> I mean, there's one everywhere, just every corner there's one. And we don't know, sometimes we look at the shops, look empty, but uh, they all are surviving and must be doing well. Well, I must tell you, the price of goods are very expensive. Of course, the United States have got quite a presence here on their products as well. I can tell you that much. Uh, and of course, because of their military and, 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 you know, this country needs the United States for protection, I would guess, against the North and things like that. So the United States does have some influence when it comes to a big influence when it comes to trade. And that's why you'd find countries like South Korea haven't ventured much into Africa and things, but only into, you know, the, 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 the West and more importantly, into Asia and things like that. Uh, but I hope that is going to change with some discussions that we have had with them. But talking about the Koreans, I mean, everywhere you look is just Korean, Korean, Korean. But another thing that we've observed, they are very health conscious here. You don't get much milk. You get coffee with no sugar. You get coffee with no milk here. I can tell you that halal is a major concern, I must be honest with you. But like I said, there is uh, some halal stores uh, limited, but there are uh, the un interpretation and understanding of halal is a major problem. Even in the hotel that I'm staying, absolutely nothing is halal. Not even the French fries or the chips that we call it is, is because they fry other stuff in it. So it's a major problem. But uh, there is masajids. There is, like I said, 100,000 in Seoul alone, uh, Muslim population estimated 200,000 in Korea as a whole, and it's growing. And uh, 
And yes, there's no restrictions whatsoever as far as that is concerned. But more and more Muslim-owned uh, uh, shops are springing up, particularly with halal food and things. So I think in the next 10, 20 years, you will get quite a large uh, Muslim population, particularly in Korea, uh, given the fact that it's a very progressive uh, country currently. Yeah, and also the uh, relationship between uh, uh, China and uh, you know Korea, uh, it's not very cordial indeed uh, because they uh, have the leaning more towards uh, uh, the Americans and so forth. Uh, but uh, how do they uh, react towards, uh, especially Korea, towards the uh, Muslims or uh, the Palestinians and the Arabs in general? Because uh, you know, uh, recently uh, uh, the uh, relationship between uh, America and uh, Saudi Arabia has, uh, you know, been freezing or been thawing because uh, Saudi Arabia is part, uh, wants to be part of the BRICS, or maybe they've already joined, I'm not too sure. But uh, your thoughts on that, uh, Ahmad? Yeah, Saudi Arabia wants to join BRICS. Many other countries want to join BRICS. BRICS is like an opposition to the World Monetary Fund, IMF, uh, 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 World Bank, all these uh, 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 institutions. But... Um, and remember the relationship that the United States has with South Korea. And of course, South Korea has got no option when it comes to this because they are, I, could, I would imagine, living in fear of an attack from North uh, Korea. And, you know, this is going on for centuries now. Uh, and, and they've had a good relationship, reasonably good relationship with China. But remember, they also have the threats of China on the one side and North Korea on the other side. And that is why they have a 30,000 strong U.S. presence here. And very importantly, that is why the trade between United States and China, and that is why you'd find so much of commodity, Chinese products, I mean, sorry, United States products here in China, uh, in Korea. It's simply because uh, uh, Korea needs them. And, and the influence of the United States will then will restrict them in, in, in with, uh, you know, uh, trading with others. But very importantly, I think um, the South Korea is, 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 and, and, and their policies, foreign policies, got the, you know, it, 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 it will be very restrictive. Because remember, there are many countries, like you uh, correctly alluded to, like Saudi Arabia and things like that now, who are on the receiving end from the West, particularly the United States of America, China is facing the same thing. So you can't have a very good relationship with these people because the United States, you know, operates like this, that you can't be friends with their enemies. <laughs> this is now the United States. So if, you, if, if the United States is not happy with somebody, they expect you not to be happy with somebody. Otherwise, it's going to affect your rent. But remember, South Korea is also part of NATO and things like that. And, 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 um, of course, for their own uh, strategic security purposes that they've done that. But I think it will be a matter of time. But if the threat from the North continues to South Korea, I cannot see South Korea breaking their relationship for whatever reason, no matter what it is costing them with the United States of America. They can't do that. Yeah, as we know uh, that uh, the Ukrainian uh uh, war and uh, you know you're picking sides and uh, still America is not letting off. I mean, how would a country like uh, Ukraine uh, and a few other countries like Poland and all allow America to let them sacrifice the young men for a futile, uh, you know, orchestrated war? Talk to us, Ahmed. 
Yes, uh, a very important point. Uh, uh, you know, this proxy war of the United States of America, uh, and and I think to some extent the Ukrainians do realize that they fell into a trap. Unfortunately, it's a journey of no return. They can do very little about it right now. But uh, there is there is there is talks that's going on between the Russian president and 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 the Ukrainians. There is. Uh, 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 but I think that the, let us be honest about it, the Ukrainians for a very long time have been provoking the Russians. And the Russians have been asking and reminding them uh, and raising concerns about it. And very little or nothing was being done about it. And uh, uh, Ukrainians persisted in their unlawful conduct. And that gave rise to where we are today. A lot of propaganda is what we also receive in the country, for, particularly from mainstream media and things that... So I think it's important to note that, that the, the war is only benefiting, if you look at the latest report, the arms sales from the United States of America in the last financial year has increased sevenfold. So you can see how the United States is laughing all the way to the bank because in the armament industry alone as a result of civil unrest uh, uh, regime change, the wars that take place, all created directly or indirectly with the United States of America's involvement. So you can see how it benefits them. So when there's disease, United States benefit. When there's war, United States benefit. When there's civil unrest, remember the success of the United States of America depends entirely on the failures of others or the mayhem and chaos of other countries, the wars in other countries, the civil unrest in other countries, the divide and rule policy. If you don't have all that, if there's peace in the rest of the world, then there's no United States of America. They can't survive. Their survival depends on that. Absolutely. A brilliant point there. Um, they, they love chaos and they like pandemonium, uh, propaganda and so forth. And uh, who can forget uh, 9-11? Who can forget uh, the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and all those things? Who can forget all these things? Uh, the Iraq war and uh, yeah, bringing down the Twin Towers, all that. But inshallah, divine decree will uh, sort them out. Talking about all these other things, uh, tighten your belt. This is what... Uh, Julius Malema is telling the South Africans and uh, here you have our president who is uh, fighting for his political life uh, you know with all the billions he has he seems like you know the greed for wealth is like drinking salt water the more you drink the thirstier you become talk to us about the scenario what's happening in Junubi Africa Ahmed all right without scaring South Africans <laughs> I think I must be honest and let South Africans know that we're in for a very rough ride in the years to come. South Africa is not going to show progress in the near future. It's going to have to go to an all-time low before it, start, it has to change. Let us also not think that if you change the regime overnight, South Africa is going to change or anybody else has got a medical solution up there for what's happening in the country. The problem is bigger than that. You've just heard you've gone to stage six load shedding. And, and that is before the ESCOM have shut down the, 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 near the power plant uh, for maintenance. Uh, now it means there's a chance you can even go to stage eight. 
On the issue of the Palapala, I've just received a report now from the from Parliament. Our legal advisor is saying that the sub rule will not apply in this case. The president, uh, 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 there's no uh, interim relief. In other words, there is no interdict, interdicting Parliament at this stage from continuing with the, uh, the Tuesday's attempt uh, to, uh, uh, to debate it and pass a resolution calling for an impeachment process to start and hand it over to the impeachment committee. So that's the legal advice we have got there, unless, of course, the president you know, brings an interdict, urgent interdict then, yes, of course, it, the ballgame might change. But, the, you know, the question is, Brother Shepherd, why is there different rules and laws for different people? I do accept and understand we're going through a very difficult period, and more so because of the infighting in the ANC. They've got their factions. Many people want President Ramaphosa out for all their own different reasons. But I want to say that when it comes to the issue of Pala Pala, the fact of the matter is there's so many questions unanswered. And it's getting worse by the day. In fact, even with the so-called Sudanese business person who's now talking about that 550 or whatever it is, is, is not a lot of money for him and things like that. And, and, and suddenly he says he didn't get his buffaloes and things. It's raising questions. Two years you didn't do. He says, no, he's got enough money. This money is small change for him. All those things are making it more and more suspicious, you know. Uh, 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 you did nothing about it for two years, more than two years. I mean, it's a long time since we've done with COVID as well. You never got your buffaloes. How did the money come in? When did it come in? Who did you, uh, 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 you know, declare it to? Uh, SARS knows nothing about it. How often has this money been coming in and going? How much exactly has been? Now there are allegations that Saudis have given five million, I think, to dollars to the ANC. Only one million was uh, shown. And, and they got monies from Qatar. There is so many things that are coming out. The interference and the calling for the intervention of the president of Namibia, uh, using state resources to go into certain no man's land to deal with this thing. The recovery of the money, which ended up in even uh, being returned because no case was opened. Why the owner of this farm, the president in this case, did not make sure that a crime committed on your premises was not reported. It's not good enough that you just told somebody else, you, it's your place, you need to ensure. And surely you would have known one week, two weeks, you know, unless you're out of touch with the reality in your own country that the matter was not reported because the money was only returned because there was no matter reported. Surely you should know the law that if a crime is committed, the money stays at exhibit, it can't be returned. You should know these things. So, I mean, you know, there is so many questions that remain unanswered and the president, uh, 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 deliberately, of course, and very conveniently is skipping mum on a lot of these things because he does not want to implicate himself because every time you respond, there's 10 other questions that's coming up. So very strategically, he's deciding not to respond. Now, let's look at what is happening on Tuesday the 13th. There's going to be an attempt and there's been threats already from the ANC to its members instructing them and not to support this uh, uh, impeachment of the president. Let me reiterate that if the president is impeached, does not mean that that parliament itself will be dissolved. We are a separate entity and it's got nothing to do with parliament will continue to operate. But very importantly, these members have been threatened 
basically, because they've been instructed. Now the question is, and 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 so uh, uh, I know some of us have asked for an open ballot. Others are asking now suddenly change their stance. They want a secret ballot. For me, I believe you need an open ballot. And the reason why I say you need an open ballot, South Africans must be able to see firsthand whether public representatives, all 400 of us in the National Assembly, whether we have the interest of the country at large, or are we have, or do we have the interest of individuals or political parties? So by able to see who our public representative vote, whether in support or not in support, it will tell us clearly whether these public representatives are the true representatives of the people of this country or not. You know, uh, the, 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 the board of the Auditor General in, in, in Korea said to us, and this is what their symbol is, that they are the eyes and ears of the people on the ground. And so that is what public representatives are supposed to be. This is going to give you an opportunity to see whether public representatives here are going to put their party first. Where is going to be the ethics and morals and their values when you've got so much of evidence in front of you? No proper responses have been provided thus far. People are hiding behind the law in going to court every... In other words, court is running this country at the moment. Court is tend to be running parliament at the moment. Every little thing we run to court. So what's the point in having parliament and... And, and having all these structures and, and spending this money. So it's the, this, I think, would be an ideal opportunity. On the other hand, those are saying that if you have a secret ballot, then those that are afraid that they might become victims uh, 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 of abuse from their own political party if they have to support the removal of the president, uh, uh, and that is why they, they are also saying that they want a secret ballot. So you can see exactly where we put it. Although for me, a secret ballot in this case uh, 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 it will be rejected. The speaker has rejected it already. We, if we know there's a concord uh, ruling on this, that it's up to the speaker to decide. And the speaker is not going to, as far as I'm concerned, uh, 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 provide a, a, a secret ballot. And she's already said that it's going to be an open ballot. But some parties I've seen, there were correspondents even came in early hours of this morning as well to us saying that they all are writing to the speaker, giving deadlines. I don't know what the purpose of that is, though. But what I can tell you that the, the, the latest is that the process to, hand, uh, uh, to pass the, uh, 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 the motion uh, for, for an impeachment process to start uh, will go ahead on, 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 on Tuesday, unless, of course, the president brings an urgent application to try and, and, and seek interim relief to stop us from doing that. Uh, at this stage, it's going to, 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 to uh, continue. I'm not entirely satisfied even with the explanation from our legal experts because, you know, they are uh, 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 saying that... Uh, by virtue of the fact that, uh, you know, the, the president is bringing an application, there is no interim relief. Uh, 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 if he does get interim relief, in my understanding, the fact that he's bringing an application to review the decision, in my view, you should not really, you cannot continue with the process if there's an application being brought and the order is granted. An interim relief is granted for you not to continue. Uh, 
because he's he's actually questioning the report that we are going to use to call for an impeachment. Yes, Amada, absolutely brilliant uh, being in your company uh, this evening. And uh, perhaps your parting words are before we let you go. Well, you know, I want to plead with our brothers and sisters out there. The country is in a situation of a crisis. Your infrastructure is collapsing. Your education system is at an all-time low, one of the lowest you can ever find. You have a water crisis in the country. Your roads, your road infrastructure is crumbling. You don't have energy supply, which means it's going to affect your economic growth. More and more people are going to lose their jobs. Ah, it seems uh, no. we have uh, lost uh, Ahmad Mandur Sheikh Imam there. But Alhamdulillah, yes, uh, absolutely brilliant uh, from him uh, joining us uh, from uh, Korea. And yes, uh, people, buckle up, tighten up and have uh, faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Make the dua and may Allah make it easy. You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Yes, sir, people, that time of the evening where we join uh, one of the finest uh, political analysts and he's also, you know, in senior management there in the Northwest Universities, uh, sought over uh, by uh, many media houses uh, for his uh, political awareness and so forth. Uh, good evening, Prof, and thank you for joining us on uh, Wasail al-Alama Sadiqa, Truthful News on uh, Marcus Sahaba. How are you doing this evening, Prof? Ah, Prof, are you there? Can you hear me, Shafat? Yeah, I can hear you loud and clear now, Prof. How are you doing this uh, this evening? Shafat, fine. I am on holiday here in Mosul, Bay, and uh, looking out over the sea, beautiful sea, wind is blowing, and so on, but I'm ready to talk to you. Yeah, Prof, uh, you know, uh, you were telling me earlier on that never in your life have you spoken so much to media and uh, so much of attention has been drawn uh, to what's happening in this country. Prof, uh, your overall view, uh, where are we heading to? It seems like, uh, you know, um, ESCOM won't be saved. SAA wasn't saved. Um, every beach or most of the beaches that you're seeing in our country on the coastline is infected by sewage and E. coli and so forth. And um, it seems as if, uh, you know, the Pala Pala is there and the NEC or the Batibili Islamini has been, uh, yeah, they took her out because they said, no, you got a suspended sentence and so forth. What's happening, Prof? I'm leaving it to you to conscientize us and, you know, tell us about some of the major issues that are facing us in the media and uh, maybe as South Africa on the brink of extinction. Am I being too harsh, Prof? If we look for a framework to understand the complexities that are playing itself out on so many areas of life, politically, economically, socially, environmentally, on the area of technology, we can only use the South African context and understand it in terms of a macro process of institutional decay. And the origin of this is primarily political in nature. And from the the political challenges, we are facing a lot of economic and social challenges. Unfortunately, to say that politics and political processes has become the problem in the country and not the way to solve problems 
to produce solutions. At the core of everything lies a lack of order, stability, and security. And if that is not in place, you get institutional forms of institutional decay. Then you have the pattern we have seen in terms of ESCOM. And you asked me to touch on a few of these debates. The whole ESCOM thing, currently I see that some politicians, and I think it is correctly, are arguing that ESCOM want to uh, 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 throw the government out. They, they, they are orchestrated group that attempt to disrupt the provision of power in order to disrupt the government. And my take on it, and maybe it's a bit oversimplified, uh, but I think it is part of this bigger process that is playing it out currently within the ANC and the uh, national conference. If we look at other institutions, just look at the moment. I think in a few days' time, Ditsa uh, Botla, that is the Lichtenberg, that's my province northwest, are heading for elections. And that whole local structure was dissolved under Article 1391D. And they, 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 they must have elections in 20 wars, I think, in, uh, in, in that specific principality. And uh, to me, that is an indication. And if you talk to people in that area, they will tell you that there was two parallel structures. They paid for two mayors. They paid for two uh, municipal managers, two perfectly parallel structures. But they cannot provide water. They cannot provide uh, general services. They cannot keep infrastructure in place. It's an environment of decay. Then the, the bit of hope we had was with the Ramaphosa thing taking over from Jacob Zuma. And at the moment, we are basically having a lame duck president that cannot act as a result of his own party and the challenges within his own party and also his own misconduct. And that is relating to Pala Pala. And we had the conversations over the last week about not only the future of Saro Ramaphosa, but the future of the presidency. Will it go away from him? How is it going to influence government? How will this impact on the ANC? How will the outplay be to the 2024 elections? At the same time, we are facing major, major economic and financial challenges with a country running into debt more and more, uh, higher levels of unemployment, high levels of poverty. Shafat, it's really not a healthy situation. The bitter irony of the situation is that we are seeing more and more of what I refer to as three systems within the totality of South African society and politics. The one system is the current state with uh, its uh, ineffective way of doing things. Then we have organized crime as a structure in South Africa, becoming stronger and stronger. And you need to read this within the context of a failing state. And then thirdly, we have parallel structures. 
where I am currently in Mosul Bay, you are looking at a form of a parallel structure. You cannot believe sitting here in this, probably the best principality in South Africa, uh, that we are living in South Africa. Everything is functional and is working. But the reason for that is either a form of government away from the ANC, or it is people just doing their own things, privatized things, creating their own security within their own environment. These are a few general, very general impressions, Shafat, but this is not a healthy uh, picture and is not a healthy scenario we are looking forward to. Well, uh, Praveen Gordon has been told, uh, go and do anything to save uh, ESCOM. And he says, yes, uh, wherever we get diesel from, we're going to buy. It's presently running on diesel. And, uh, you know, they're borrowing money. You get uh, Sunil Ramaphosa going with his uh, begging hats all over and, uh, you know, asking for billions and millions and trillions of uh, dollars only for electricity and for other things. Uh, you know, whereas uh, the, the poverty level is so high in this country, uh, what will happen to our educational institutes? People like you, yourselves in the uh, universities, will we have a, a functional university? We know our hospitals are compromised. Our, uh, you know, police force is compromised. And uh, talk about it, our transportation, we don't even have our harbors. Everything around us, around us is compromised. Uh, Prof, what's your thoughts? Well, Shafat, you're absolutely right, uh, summarizing it. Our harvests, harvests are becoming dysfunctional. I understand more and more of the international world are making use of either Namibian or Angolan uh, uh, harbors. They are using harbors in Mozambique and other places, avoiding places like Durban, which for a long time was the biggest harbor, I think, in Africa. My own family, they have uh, a place around Ivongo. They told me, that is my direct family, that's my daughter and uh, their the, 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 uh, families. And uh, they told me they cannot go to their place in Yvongo anymore because there are too much uh, sewage in the water. Mm. They just cannot go for a holiday in Durban. And uh, that is one aspect. Looking at poverty, we are talking about a poverty rate of about close to 60% so far. People cannot live and survive. We talk about the railways. They are stealing the steel from the infrastructure to sell it. That is part of this criminal organized uh, crime syndicates I am referring to. And sometimes they are operating in collaboration with political structures. Our safety and security, you ask me about universities. Shafat, the universities mm. are not fundamentally different from what is going on in the rest of South Africa. We are part of South Africa. We are part of these policies, part of these structures. Maybe we have a bit more independence. And maybe some, uh, some, some universities over many decades built a bit of a a money structure that can help them survive through their alumni and others. But my take on the university system in South Africa is that they are facing major challenges. 
and I'm always using the one example, Shufat. I am now close to 40 years in the academia. It is 39 years. I started back in the middle of 1983 as a temporary junior lecturer. And let me tell you, Shafat, to become a professor, according to all structures, you need probably anything between 15 and 20 years. You need a PhD, so you must mm. go through a B degree, an honors degree, a master's, a PhD. Then you need to publish. Let's say you need something between 30 and 50 academic articles. Mm. The average academic write one article a year. So now we are bringing in people from the outside. Maybe they have a PhD, but they do not have the experience bringing them into sometimes senior academic positions. It's not working. Looking at our school systems, and I can talk a lot about them, but one point, there's a total lack of order and discipline. Shafat, to put it in Afrikaans, and I know many of your listeners mm. understand Afrikaans, we need to bring back the shambok, <laughs> as they say, and create order and stability. That is what we need. And from there on, we can try to rebuild our society and our communities. But really, we are going in the opposite direction. Uh, and that has a lot to do with the lack of a political will to take tough decisions. You know the difference between an average leader and a real statesman is the ability to take the most difficult decision which proved historically right rather than to took the soft options. In South Africa, we always took the soft option. When we had COVID, the option was to give more social grants to people, not to address the economic challenges coming from COVID. That was a secondary priority. It was the opportunity to give more handouts. And that's one of the reasons why we are currently financially in trouble. And uh, this is the only one reason. Isn't that there's a complex of factors playing into our world, and more and more, all of us are becoming dependent on our own actions in order to survive. You cannot depend on the state, you cannot depend on the municipality. So, in a way, the ANC government is giving back a lot to people. They are taking the advantages of everything and making us responsible for doing the week, for the work. And I'm seeing so many times in Touch of Storm, I'm seeing the Afri Forum Baki driving through Touch of Storm with tar and, the, and other, other things, and they are filling the potholes on behalf of the municipality. And then we get the situation where municipal uh, people are mobilizing against them. They are doing it for free, but they believe they are taking away their potential jobs. This is, in a way, South Africa. 
You know, Prof, it's been told uh, when you get people, you know, the affluent people of the country, uh, they do not behave in a sober manner, in a manner uh, that will benefit uh, the other people that depend on wages and so forth. And then you get a government uh, that is also compromised, uh, that is uh, run by, uh, you know, elements of criminality, people that are prone to stealing and uh, shortchanging others. Then you have a country that is uh, heading for destruction. And, uh, you know, do we, uh, we know when it comes to the politicians uh, that they, most of them allegedly are corrupt. But uh, it's a big business also that plays the game, uh, you know, enabling this corruption by buying up, uh, buying a certain uh, parliamentarians or buying out certain government officials and uh, maybe turning them into criminals. Uh, what's your thoughts on that, Prof? Uh, yes, Shafat, uh, that is uh, basically the elements of the concept of state capture. We had so many conversations about And that is where you have people in position of influence, in, uh, of influence and they are connecting to people in other structures, creating this mafia networks. And uh, the one take the decision, the other one are benefit fitting from the decision and he's paying back this first guy a lot of money. That is what we call endemic corruption or state capture. And under Jacob Zuma, it reached the point where there was, in a way, parallel structures, but in the criminal sense. This is the second system I refer to. And unfortunately, Shafat, this is still in our environment it's still working and many people are saying that this stage sticks uh, of power shedding we are in is a well-planned organized attempt to disrupt the government and i have no doubt that this is the case and more and more we are learning from escom officials that uh, there are sabotage within the ESCOM context. And the argument is probably something like this. If we would like to disrupt this government, we must just stop the electricity and nothing will function. Only a few years back, President Ramaphosa talked about the fourth revolution. And myself and the futurologist were on a RSG program. And this guy coming from Stalinbosch was extremely positive about this idea of a fourth industrial revolution. And my argument was a lot more negative. My argument was we aren't ready for the so-called second revolution. The second one is basically electricity, according to my understanding, in a way. We can't even provide on that level. And unfortunately, Safat, at the moment, we are really going down. And I'm reading more and more people in the economy telling me that they cannot uh, produce anymore. And it's not only influencing big institutions. This is also influencing your small person that is doing a job that needs electricity, uh, family, uh, business, that would like to do their business trade or whatever the case may, may be. This is affecting all of them. And if this is continuing, we may see an uprising from the grassroots level. And I think Pablo Mbeki, a few weeks back, 
refer to South Africa's possible Arab Spring. So all these factors are contributing towards a very negative scenario. And I think, despite all the criticism going to Ramaphosa about Pala Pala, you know, I'm also criticizing him a lot, you will remember that. I still think he is the better choice among what is available within the structures of the ANC, looking at the likes of people like David Mabuza, Paul Machetile, Zueli Mekize, Lindiwe Suzulu, Skosazana Dlamini Zuma, and so on. But, Shafat, we are far away from solutions. And at the end of the day, we are just going to do our own things. Looking over the sea, looking at the houses here, close to the beach here in Mossel Bay, I am seeing more and more goods on houses going up, producing their own electricity. So, in a way, we are becoming more dependent on ourselves. And I think it is time that communities start acting together in order to rebuild the country where the state is failing us. Yeah, Prof, and uh, the rater says that the only way out for ESCOM is if they privatize and, uh, you know, private uh, uh, companies will be uh, supplying uh, uh, electricity and energy because he says uh, even you look at uh, South African airways, I mean, uh, look at what the government has done to it. Virtually, you know, ran it into extinction. Your thoughts, sir, Prof? Well, uh, Shafat, uh, I'm now quoting from the perspectives of my colleague, Darby Ruth. He is saying that... Uh, it's quite interesting how uh, the South African state is working, and he used South African Airways as the example. Proving Gordon, amongst others, don't want to privatize. In fact, the word privatization is a completely unacceptable word within uh, the vocabulary of uh, the ANC. But at the end of the day, they keep on with SA Airways, and when you go to the airport, you are seeing less and less South African Airways and more and more other competitors taking over the scene. And this is what is happening with ESCOM. Uh, in the future, we are going to see other institutions replacing ESCOM. But you know, Shafat, the trouble will be, this is going to be the rich people and the people in better positions that are going for this new options. And the majority of South Africans are going to pay the price for this levels of dysfunctional state. The point I like to make is this government is so-called pro-poor and uh, whatever they would like to call themselves. But at the end of the day, their policy failures, their failure to implement is of such a nature that many black people, Shafat, are coming to me and they are talking to me in the open. When they are walking in the street, they are coming up to me and they talk to me about politics. And many of them, Shafat, are telling me that conditions were better before 1994 if they compare it to the current situation in South Africa. And uh, I am afraid that if we are not going to get the state right, we are going to run into deep trouble. And what is also a big problem, and we haven't even touched on that one, is the fact that our borders are open. 
There are people coming into South Africa in their thousands. Remember a year or two back, our population was about 59 million, 60 million. Currently, people are talking about 63 million. You can just go to certain urban environments. Today, there are standing 50 shacks. Tomorrow, there are 200 or 300 shacks. That type of thing we are seeing. And what people are telling me is that the EFF is very pro the, the, the in-bringing of these people because they are making sure these people are getting ID cards and they are all voting for the EFF because they will provide houses and other services. So Shafat, this is a vicious circle. And if you are not going to break this with strong and tough decisions, we are really going to end up in trouble. Yeah, it seems as if uh, there's a disruption around the ANC. There's a uh, disruption policy in the ANC. Uh, You know, the opposition like the, uh, you know, uh, the the other parties like the BLF and uh, EFF and all these uh, other parties sending mixed signals, uh, compromising those uh, law-abiding South Africans who pay their rates, who pay their taxes, who are, you know, uh, people that are law-abiding citizens, but uh, uh, maybe many, many will say that we are paying the salaries of, uh, uh, you know, thieves and hoodlums. Your reaction there, Prof? Well, there's no doubt that to be within the law is in many ways to be the target from government. Let's look at the tax base of South Africa. Who are paying the taxes? And you will find that it is literally a few hundred thousand people paying by far the majority of personal tax in South Africa, with more and more people becoming dependent on the state in terms of social grounds. And I must honestly tell you that uh, it cannot continue on this way. We are not balancing the processes. They are so far out of rhythm. And the problem is, now you have the Cosatus, you have the BLFs, you have all these ATM type of groups asking for even more and more. And I'm expecting very radical policy frameworks in the coming elections, or the coming national conference. It's not only about elections, it's also about the adoption of policies. But I'm expecting an approach that will focus more on nationalization, how to to give the the disadvantaged people even more. And at the moment, the people with the real money are fleeing the country. They are taking their money and invest it in other places. Sometimes our own financial investors are taking our money out of the country and invest it in funds in other countries where it is safer than within our own context. A form of disinvestment that is probably more negative to our economy than the formal disinvestment processes in the period before 1994. Prof, thank you very much uh, for being with us this evening. Your parting words? Well, Shafat, it's now Christmas time. It's the festive season. And I would like to, to wish the listeners 
all of the best for this time. I think 2023 are going to be a very challenging year on so many levels. But it's always good to have an approach of how you can contribute, how you can assist, how you can help others, to build bridges to all people and to make them part of your value system and your approach. But uh, from my side, I wish them a happy Christmas and a prosperous New Year, and I hope that uh, we will talk a lot in the New Year. Absolutely, Prof. Our blessings are with you, and always uh, you are one with us. And uh, I got a gut feeling we'll be talking uh, rather soon. Have a blessed uh, evening ahead. I'll talk to you soon again, Prof. Uh, and uh, ready, you look after yourself. Thank you very much, Shofar. Yeah. Yes, our Professor Andre Duvanaga there. Ready. He has a lot of love for you people. A lot of love. Yes, uh, keep it locked on to Marcus Sahaba for beautiful programming. Thank you very much, Lucalo, for brilliant engineering. From the team and I, till we meet you again, we bid you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.